Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Peter Gabbett Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Timothy Hankst, and today is September 22nd, 2020, which means I'm on day 283 in a row of 365 promised episodes that brings you unedited, unscripted, improv, news, movies, music, sports, food, entertainment, and all things except politics. Well, folks, the Las Vegas Raiders played their first home game yesterday in Allegiant Stadium. And I wish I could say they were welcomed by thousands enjoying themselves on the Las Vegas Strip. But, of course, as we know right now, the main strip in Vegas is a barren wasteland of thugs and gambling addicts and nothing else. It is absolutely sad, a sad state of affairs for the owners of these major casinos and hotels who can't even get beyond 10% capacity filled in their hotels as of late, regardless of the cheap prices they're offering, which means the welcome to Las Vegas crowd was minimal with the Vegas Raiders taking a W against the New Orleans Saints, Drew Brees throwing a couple picks. Actually, it was only one interception, but he also only threw one touchdown, and Derek Carr had zero interceptions and three touchdowns. He wanted to prove a point that the Las Vegas Raiders are here to stay, and I gotta say, Allegiant Stadium looks magnificent. However, there may be one new stadium that's still a little bit nicer, and that is SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. I mean, that place looks amazing. The amount of money that these owners have put down to get these stadiums up and running and have no fans watching these games is just sad. I mean, that is... It's embarrassing. You have millions, in some cases almost a billion, put in to the team, the new jerseys, the new location, and a brand new stadium, especially in the case of Vegas, that's right downtown on the Strip, and nobody is allowed in there. That is just a sad waste of space effort, and a ton of cash. Raiders won 34-24. The feud between Kobe Covington and LeBron James has begun, and I love it. First off, Covington won his fight the other night, and in an after-fight interview, he stated that his fight was dedicated to the first responders out there, and then he drug LeBron James' name through the dirt, as he deserves, for being a frosty, baby, woke snowflake and basically told him to shut his mouth about politics and stick to basketball. Well, then LeBron James took to Twitter to attempt to bash Colby Covington, and I don't know what he was talking about, but almost asked him if he wanted to take things onto the court, like play a basketball game to prove who's more badass? Well, no. LeBron, 
He's going to beat your ass in the octagon to prove who's more badass. That's what you do when you have a feud. You fight someone. So after LeBron's little weak sauce shit talk on Twitter, Covington came back around and brought up Delonte West, who supposedly had an affair with LeBron James' mom in 2010. And the fact that LeBron James is obviously not capable of fighting someone, he's a little bitch, because he would have knocked out West's teeth for what he had done to him 10 years ago, and yet he did nothing. So, he basically called him out and said when he's ready to fight, Covington's waiting in the octagon for him, and he will massacre LeBron James, size difference mattering not. LeBron is a much larger individual than Kobe Covington. Much larger. But that doesn't matter. If you're a trained MMA fighter, you will choke the person out, or you will find places where you hit them or kick them that they are not used to getting hit, and they will go down fast. And I would love to see someone beat LeBron James's ass. He is such a whiny little bitch. But of course, some other NBA players took to his back, you know, stepped up to the plate for him and began talking smack about Kobe, Kobe Covington, including Kevin Durant, who posted, who is this again? Oh, who is he? He's only a world famous mixed martial artist. Where are you at, Durant? Oh, that's right. Your team didn't make it to the playoffs because you're a loser and you play for a team that has a bunch of losers on it. How sad for you. So you have extra time to sit around and tweet to the aid of LeBron James because, of course, you're going to have his back. You're a basketball player, and you guys are a big family of mamby-pamby whiners who always want to protest something and demand more money even though you get paid millions to play your favorite sport. So again, I'll say, shut your mouths and entertain us. That's all we pay you to do. As far as Covington is concerned, I, I can't say that he should be out there saying these things either. You know, he's, he's a fighter. He also should shut his mouth and fight. But do I enjoy hearing him talk crap and get under the skin of these NBA players? Yes, absolutely. I hope that it continues. I want this feud to continue until these two men face each other in a fighting format. Covington versus LeBron. Nothing would delight me more. Now, some people out there, they're not really workaholics. You know, they, they just want to barely skim by and make enough money to survive. Now, I, I personally, I don't like to work all day every day either. I do because I need to, but I don't enjoy doing it. I would rather get paid to do nothing. But wouldn't it be nice to get paid to, like, travel to national parks and drink beer? Well, that's what Anheuser-Busch is going to do for one lucky person they're naming as the Chief Executive Officer of Exploration and... They are, they are sending this individual, whoever it may be, could be you. Apply for the job now. They're sending them to various national parks, including Joshua Tree, Yosemite, Big Bend, 
all these places to drink Michelob Ultra and post it on social media. You'll be living lavishly in a trailer, fully equipped with a shower and bathroom. They want you to bring a friend along for the ride too, and they're going to pay $50,000 to whoever does this. That That's a dream come true. I mean, the only thing that could be a little bit, teeny bit better than this is if they also supplied weed. I mean, this is crazy. They're going to pay somebody to be out there enjoying nature to the highest degree, which I absolutely love doing, and get them drunk while they're doing it. I mean, who doesn't want this job? Is there a person who does not want this job right now? I don't know anybody. I, I'm pretty sure I could name a teenager who wants this job. But of course, you have to be 21. That's pretty much the only requirement, is you gotta be 21. And I assume you can't be like, you know, morbidly obese or addicted to drugs or any of these things that would, you know, require additional funding to help aid your progress through these national parks. You probably have to be somewhat able to walk around and trek through some, you know, wonderful, beautiful places that might be a difficult hike every now and then. I am totally in on this. If you don't hear from me for an entire year, you know where I'm at. I'm traveling to national parks and drinking Michelob Ultra. Today, I am feeling fatigued. And I'll tell you why. Because yesterday, beginning around 9.30 a.m., I started making three triple batches, no, three double batches, so a total of six, three double batches of my Barbecues and Original Barbecue Sauce. I had run out, I needed more, and I didn't finish until midnight. Yeah, that's a long time. Yep, it, uh, it took the life out of me, I'm not gonna lie, because here's the thing, a lot of people don't understand. You can't just make barbecue sauce from scratch with fresh tomato sauce and expect it to stay in bottles and not mold unless you seal them a specific way. The way I do it is simple. I make the barbecue sauce while it's still hot and while the bottles are still hot from being sanitized in hot water. I pour the hot sauce in. I cap them with caps that are sitting in hot water that are also hot so that the seals on the caps become a little bit more pliable. Then I, I put the cap on and I drop all these bottles individually into a large vat of boiling water for 20 minutes each, which I can only do about 12 at a time. And I did that for 70 bottles. Yeah, that took a long time. The cooking took the longest time. I didn't even finish cooking the sauce until about 9 p.m. And then the sealing of the bottles took a long time as well. And of course, now I have to label them and shrink wrap the tops with the little shrink seals that go around the edges of the top. And then I have to market them and sell them. It's a lot of work. It really is. But you can do this anywhere. 
A lot of people wonder, how do they seal these bottles? I, I guess I have to have a machine or use a company, a third-party company that does it for me where I give them my recipe and they order their own versions of the ingredients on the recipe and then they make it and if it's good, then I guess I'm satisfied and I order it in bulk. Well, that is not what you have to do. I promise you this. If you want to make sure you're doing them in small batch so that in small batches so that people don't destroy your product. You know, you got to keep the integrity of your product alive. I do mine gluten-free and vegan. I use a specific Worcestershire sauce that doesn't have anchovy extract in it. I use a specific version of soy sauce called tamari, which has no gluten. Believe it or not, soy sauce has gluten in it. Not sure how that's possible. Don't really understand it, but doesn't really matter to me. I use a gluten-free version. These are things you must do to accommodate the new age of human beings populating the planet who want things that don't have this in it and don't have that in it. And I don't use preservatives to extend the life of my barbecue sauce. I simply seal the bottles and sell them as rapidly as possible and then encourage my buyers to refrigerate after opening. This will make it last up to a year in a fridge and up to six months if it's not opened on a shelf. That's pretty good. Also pretty good is barbecues and barbecue sauce. The best sweet and smoky KC style sauce with a fusion of Baja Cali on the market. Perhaps the only one on the market. So check me out at www.barbecuesion that's B-B-Q-U-S-I-O-N dot com. Well, if you haven't seen it yet, you have got to watch this viral video online of a woman begging for the police to let her go after they pull her over. She has a suspended license and a warrant, but she needs to poop. Yeah, she's begging the cops. She's like, hey, please, it's my birthday. I need to poop. I need to poop so bad. I'm going to poop my pants. Let me go home and let me poop. The cops are like, madam, we're afraid you have a warrant. We have to fulfill our jobs and take you in. So please step out of the car. And that is when she says, you know what? Screw you guys and takes off in her truck. A little while later, when the cops catch back up to her after she eludes them for a quick minute, she screams about having to poop as they put her in the back of a police vehicle now for resisting arrest. And she will... I'm certain face even more charges because of her attempt to elude them all because she needed to poop. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing in that case as a cop, but I don't want a person in the back of my vehicle who's about to shit themselves. So I think I would just be like, all right, before we go, bend over here on the road, drop a deuce. I'll find some paper towel or napkins for you. And then you're going to jail. But this woman, man, she just, she did not want to shit her pants. And I respect that. I wouldn't want to shit mine either. I mean, I guess if I had to do it, I just would. You have no choice. You're going to shit. But I would do whatever it takes to not shit myself. She felt the same way. She begged for them to let her poop. Instead, she ran from the cops. And surely she ended up pooing her pants on the way to the police station while thinking about the charges she now faces with a warrant in another county and now an attempt to elude 
in the current county she was in, plus driving without a with a suspended license. I mean, you're facing a world of hurt, madam. I hope you're not afraid to poop in public places because the shitter in jail is disgusting. Trust me on that one. New movie review, folks. The very excellent Mr. Dundee. Yeah, it is what it sounds like. It's a movie sort of about Crocodile Dundee, but really about Paul Hogan, but mostly about nothing. However, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It has just trips down memory lane left and right, it begins as though it's some sort of a biography or documentary biopic about Paul Hogan's life after Crocodile Dundee and how he fell off the map hard and nobody knew what he was up to and he keeps getting into circumstances that make him look like a terrible person leading up to the end where he is supposed to be knighted by the Queen of England for his his just comedy you know, what he's given to comedy in the in his lifetime or whatever. And apparently they felt the need to bring in old actors to remind us of other people who fell off the map hard. And we must learn to love and still respect them as they are not forgotten. Including Olivia Newton-John, who's in this movie. And John Cleese and Chevy Chase. I mean, the list goes on and on for the random old cameos done by actors, or random actors that are old who did cameos in this movie. And I, I have to admit, because of that fact alone, I give this a 5 out of 10. It is somewhat worth a glance. If you're like me and a super fan of the old Crocodile Dundee movies. I mean, I am a super fan. I always wondered why they didn't reboot that franchise or bring back Paul Hogan himself for one final Dundee movie where he has a son who becomes the new Crocodile Dundee or something. Well, this movie has him going to a studio and having them pitch him ideas for something just like that, including at one point where they pitch him an idea of Will Smith being his son in a movie in which he backs out of because, you guessed it, it makes no sense because he's black, which they then twist into him being a racist and ruin and smear his name even more before his supposed knighthood by the Queen. This is all a part of the plot of this movie, and it's actually somewhat interesting. And it is good to see old Paul Hogan still able to be funny and enjoyable on the big screen. So check it out. The very excellent Mr. Dundee. I'm giving it a 5 out of 10. If you like Crocodile Dundee movies, watch this and it'll give you a couple good laughs. Folks, it's time for the portion of the Peter Gibbett podcast we all know and love, and that is Real Stories, brought to you by me, Peter Timothy Hankst, and Barbecuesion, that's B-B-Q-U-S-I-O-N, and today I'm going to tell you the story about when I basically got charged with assault 
for stabbing a teacher with a tack in his hand. Now, I know this sounds crazy, like you're going to seriously judge me, and you should, because I'm thinking about this right now, and boy, is it a stupid thing that I did. Like, I'm thinking about this right now, and I can't even believe I did this, but I did do it. When I was in high school, I was in this thing called Freshman Academy, and one of the teachers in Freshman Academy was called Mr. Dunlap, and I called him Mr. Dubsack, to which he would always try and act cool and give the students props. You know, you'd walk in, slap hands with your homies, and give daps, and that was kind of the standard during the time that I was in high school. But the teacher would try and do that too because he wanted to be cool with us. You know, he wanted to, to be on our level. He was like, oh yeah, yeah, no, I'm cool. I'm Mr. Dunlap. And I called him Dubsack, and I don't think he knew that that meant $20 sack of weed. Doesn't really matter. So one day, I see this giant tack on the side of a bulletin board in one of my classes before I reach my class with Mr. Dunlap. I don't even remember what he taught. It was like science or something. And so I take the tack out of the, the bulletin board and all these papers drop and I don't care because I was a menace to the school. I was just not a good, well, I mean, I was a good student. I got all my work done. I got straight A's. I was in accelerated classes. I took geometry as a freshman. But I was a troublemaker to the highest possible degree. So I pulled this tack out of the bulletin board. All these papers dropped and I cared not even a little bit. Students would watch me do these things in awe at how terrible of a human being I was. Other people were entertained by it. And I took this giant tack and as I had it between my hand, between my fingers, I thought, man, wouldn't it be hilarious if I like slapped hands with somebody who didn't notice I had this giant tack in my hand and it stabbed right through their hand. And then I thought, you know who always gives the students props every time they stroll into his classroom? Mr. Dubsack. Yes, and in fact, that was my next class for the day. So it dawned on me that it made the most sense to play this prank on him. Little did I know this would lead to my absolute demise, as I would, you know, have that added into my long list of reasons why I got expelled from Hillsborough High School twice, actually. But this was the first time. I was a freshman. And I already had a huge rap sheet. And I took this tack and put it in between my hands. And I walked the halls giving props to my friends, stabbing them in the hands as a joke. It was fun. And then the bell rang and it was time to get to class. So I strolled into Dubsack's classroom. And he reached his hand out to give me daps, as he always did, to give me props. And I put the tack in my fingers, slapped hands with him. And it went straight through his hand and basically came out the other side. I mean, this was a really giant tack. It was like a novelty tack, which was why I stole it from the bulletin board. I had to have it. And apparently he had to leave the classroom and get his hand bandaged to where I was then removed from the classroom for assaulting a teacher and then eventually expelled about a week later after I shattered a drinking fountain made out of porcelain in the back gym while assaulting a student with a weight that I had taken from the weight room in PE. So yes, I, I was out of control. I was absolutely nuts. 
when I was younger. There was no controlling this guy. I was crazy. But I wasn't trying to really assault the teacher. You know, I wanted a little poke to occur, a little poke and a little joke, and that was it, and we would move on, and he would respect that I got him. But instead, it turned into this big fiasco, like I was trying to kill the guy. I mean, come on. I stabbed him with a tack, not really stabbing him. He chose to stab his own hand up against mine while giving me props. And that's what happened because he wanted to be cool. You know, you can't really make, make it completely my fault in this case. The teacher shouldn't have been slapping hands with students like that to begin with. If this was the COVID era, he would have been fired just for doing that and not wearing a mask. But in the end, I was clearly at fault, and the lesson to be learned here is seriously, do not assault your teachers. I am so dumb. All of us already know this. Why am I even telling you? Thank you for listening to the Peter Gabbett Podcast. I love each and every one of you, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Now, as a kid, you should never do anything that I did. But don't be afraid to fight for your right to party. We all did. And that is why I love a Beastie Boys song with that same title. Because, you know, they really proved to me back then that that is what you must do when you're a child to get respect and enjoy yourself like an adult. You must fight for your right to party. So let's all enjoy that song together. Here it is. Yeah! Kick it!